Kingdom Hearts 4 was announced this weekend, and it's quickly showing one of the fringe benefits of IP consolidation. Good morning, good Monday morning to you, boo. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for April 11th, 2022. If you'd prefer to consume the show the way it's intended, in a podcast feed so you can listen on your phone as you get ready for work or your commute, head to patreon.com sifted and drop us a pledge. It's free on our YouTube channel for everyone else. You can find our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. Please give the show a review if you can. So as I said this weekend, Kingdom Hearts 4 was unexpectedly shown off for the very first time. If you just watched the trailer, you will probably think that it's set in present-day Japan, and it features a realistic graphics look. I do not believe that. <laughs> I think the trailer is a red herring, a distraction to make you think that that's what the game is going to look like and where it's going to be set. But if you pay attention to the trailer, they talk about being transported to another world a couple times. So I think that this is just a tease to get people talking. As of right now, there's no word on platforms or a release date. However, kind of the bigger thing about this was that eagle-eyed fans have spotted something in the trailer. Some of them believe that what they're seeing is the foot of an ATST walker from the Star Wars franchise. I'm 50-50 on that. They've freeze-framed it, and they've circled it, and it kind of looks like it. I'm not 100% sure, but that's kind of irrelevant to what I want to discuss here. So it is entirely possible that Star Wars can appear in the game in some fashion, since it's owned by Disney, which is awesome. Already, the Kingdom Hearts franchise has done a great job of integrating so many different brands that Disney owns into one game. It's a little weird and a little goofy, but arguably, goofy, haha, but arguably, the goofier part about it is the stuff that Square Enix has created just for Kingdom Hearts. The Disney stuff, as eclectic as it seems, actually kind of snaps together better than these weird mystical characters that they've created on their own for it. And that's what I want to discuss here on Good Morning Gaming. It's easy to get angry when a single company snatches up so many of your favorite properties and then throw around words like Monopoly all willy-nilly, but there are some serious fringe benefits as well. Disney owns Star Wars, The Muppets, the Marvel Cinematic Universe minus X-Men, all their princess properties like Cinderella and Mulan and Frozen, Aladdin, The Lion King, it owns the Chronicles of Narnia, the Pirates of the Caribbean. It owns all the Pixar films like Toy Story, The Incredibles, and Cars. It owns Winnie the Pooh, Indiana Jones, and on and on. We've really only seen the surface scratched of what can ultimately appear in Kingdom Hearts 4. And that is exciting. Just imagine what it can do. It's mind-boggling. This type of conglomeration is also working out well for a Smash Brothers clone called Multiversus. It's being published by Warner Brothers, which allows for an extremely eclectic collection of fighters like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Harley Quinn, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, Bugs Bunny, Arya Stark from Game of Thrones, Jake the Dog from Adventure Time, and on and on. Trying to fit all these characters from different properties into one game, if you didn't already own all the licenses, would simply be impossible. It would cost so 
much. It's why there are classic albums like Beastie Boys' Paul's Boutique that you simply could not make in 2022. It samples so many other songs and artists back before there was really laws for sampling where you had to pay for each little part of it. That's what we're talking about with these games. You would have to pay for each license. And in some cases, you'd have to pay for each character within that license. Not always, but sometimes. So creating something like what Kingdom Hearts 4 is going to be or what Multiverse is, is practically impossible unless you have these big mothership companies that own all this different IP. Multiverses is yet another conglomeration of IP that's providing highly desirable art that otherwise would never exist. Think about how slowly Nintendo has to roll out new characters because it has to do what I was just talking about. It has to pay for each of the characters that it's including. And that's why most of the characters are from Nintendo properties. And then you get a smattering of third parties. So the next time you get angry that one of your favorite franchises has been snatched up by one of the big boys, try to look on the bright side of things and keep the word Monopoly out of your mouth while you're at it. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your SIFs. Square Enix was busy this weekend as a trademark for Tactics Ogre Reborn was uncovered in Japan. Now the trademark could be for a mobile game or something like that, but a Tactics Ogre Remaster was part of the Nvidia leak not that long ago. So it appears that this strategy RPG franchise is getting revived for real in some fashion. Tactics Ogre Let Us Cling Together first launched for the Super Famicom in Japan in 1995. It later came out for the Sega Saturn and in the West, the PlayStation. It was then remade for the PSP in 2010. It's long been regarded as one of the greatest strategy RPGs of all time, and it looks like a new generation of players is about to find out why. Also, by the way, almost everything in that massive NVIDIA leak is slowly coming true. Advance Wars 1 Plus 2 Reboot Camp, which is a collection of the first two Advance Wars games for Nintendo Switch, has gone live for some players who have pre-ordered and preloaded the game. It was supposed to be released this week on April 8th, but Nintendo delayed it due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, out of respect, obviously, for that horrible situation that's going on there. The game currently has no new release date, but if you pre-ordered and preloaded the game, especially early, you should definitely check and see if it's playable on your Switch before Nintendo gets after it today. According to CD Projekt Red, it is still improving. Cyberpunk 2077, CDPR's Quest director, Powell Sasko, confirmed during a live stream that the team was aware that there is still, quote, work to be done, and said he was reviewing possible new quests daily. That's new quests, people. He said, quote, I cannot tell you anything about our future plans, but I can assure you that we are working on expansions. We're working on stuff for you guys. <laughs> This is great news to hear, kind of. I mean, it's good to hear that CD Projekt Red hasn't given up on the game, but we kind of knew that. Obviously, they just released the next-gen versions of it, finally. But if this work is holding back development of the next Witcher game in any way, shape, or form, it might be time for the studio to move on. Showing that movie reviews have truly lost a lot of punch in the film business, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was the best opening weekend of any video game movie ever. It's already grossed $71 million, which is well over $10 million more than the first movie during the same time frame. And get this, it's also Jim Carrey's biggest 
domestic opening weekend ever, which is just mind-boggling. Think back to all the high-profile films that Jim Carrey has starred in, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is his most successful ever. It's just crazy. The film was generally panned by critics, but its viewer scores have been significantly higher. I'm betting that people are just looking for anything to make them laugh and have a lighthearted time right now. If you're still trying to make your way through Elden Ring, and you're not alone, I'm still doing Shane vs. Elden Ring every Saturday at twitch.tv slash siftedgames. It may shock you to hear that YouTuber Mitch Kriz finished the game in under 13 minutes. <laughs> now you may be sitting there wondering, how? How is this possible? This game is gigantic. I've been playing it for a hundred and some hours. How could anyone finish it in 12 minutes? Well, the truth is, the run does include pretty much every glitch in the book. So it's not a pure run. And it is pretty amazing how quickly people have uncovered these glitches because they're, they're nuts. The amount of trial and error that people have to have gone through to have uncovered these glitches. And then there is some skill involved in being able to remember them all, where to do them, how to do them, where to go after you've done each glitch, to go to the next glitch, to keep skipping forward through the game. There is a certain skill in non-pure speedruns. Even Zelda speedruns. A lot of people will abuse this glitch that'll get you through a door that's being guarded. So this isn't something new. But still, I have a lot of respect for someone who can just remember how to do all this stuff and do it in under 13 minutes. Amazing stuff. So when we talked about Tiny Tina's Wonderlands on Game Face, I mentioned that I was unable to ever get the online cooperative play to work. And I just kind of mentioned it offhand. I I had enjoyed playing it on my own. And I had just tried to do the co-op just so I could talk about it on Game Face and let you guys know whether it worked or not. And <laughs> as it turns out, it's still not fixed. It has been busted for weeks now. Online play is still a mess and it's especially bad in cross-play. The game's official channels have been oddly silent about the matter. The game runs on Gearbox's proprietary online service. It's called Shift. You can also use the service to redeem Shift codes, which are single-use tokens that award you with rare pieces of in-game gear. On March 29th, Gearbox rolled out an update intended to address crashes on all platforms. But by March 31st, the studio said that, quote, most players are in the clear with, quote, limited cases of disconnections. That is a complete and total lie. If you go to the official Shift Twitter account, where you're being sent if you're having issues with the game, there has not been a tweet since April 3rd. That's eight days. The last tweet said, if you're having issues, just restart your system or file a ticket with 2K. People are not happy. This was a huge feature, or supposed to be a huge feature for this game. Cross-play online cooperative support. One of the very last things that was announced for the game. Everyone was very excited about it. But this is nothing new with Gearbox games. In fact, every Gearbox game has network issues at launch, and it almost always takes them forever to figure it out. Somehow we thought it was going to be different with Tiny Tina, but that has not ended up being the case. WB Games head David Haddad will keep his role despite a significant shakeup in the leadership ranks as parent company Warner Media prepares to merge with Discovery. This hopefully means that the before-mentioned multiverses will remain on track for release. 
He will report to J.B. Parrott, the newly appointed lead of the company's streaming and game business operations. The merger is thought to go through any day now. The Warner Media division joined Discovery after parting with AT&T in a $43 billion deal that went down last year. It was reported that the purchase would include some parts of Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, but not all of it. We're still not sure which companies are staying or going, but that should be made clear when the deal finally goes through in the coming days. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's Boss Fight, where I tackle random topics that may or may not be related to video games. This weekend, VentureBeat's Jeff Grubb shared that Criterion's new Need for Speed game will reportedly launch this November. And not only that, that it will be a next-gen-only release, meaning you'll only be able to buy it for PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. And... I'll be honest with you, I believe it's now time for the industry to make the move to next-gen exclusive development. Everyone needs to follow Criterion's lead, and they need to leave the PS4 and the Xbox One behind. Now, I'm not an idiot. I know why this is happening. There's over 115 million PS4s out there. Now, Microsoft, not really all that concerned about making sure that there's development going on for Xbox One, because that console for... Most intents and purposes was a failure. But PlayStation, there's 115 million PS4s out there, and it is really struggling to commit to leaving it in the dust. And anecdotally, it does appear that the PS5 is still really hard to get, and things are starting to change for Xbox Series X. I have seen Xbox Series X on store shelves across the last few months. There was a huge stock available on Amazon that lasted for quite a while before it was sold out. So you're not in this situation with Xbox Series X anymore where as soon as they're available, two minutes later, they're gone. And that is kind of the case for PS5 still. They become a little bit easier to get, but not that much. Even so, it's time to close the door on last-gen development. We are coming up on almost a year and a half since the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series consoles launched. It's time to move on. Now I know there are interviews out there that claim that developing a game for both PS4 and PS5 is not really a hassle. But if you really look, all those quotes are coming from first-party studios, the most prominent of which is Guerrilla Games with Horizon Forbidden West. And this is the interview that everyone points to. Game director Mathis DeJong from Guerrilla Games and narrative director Benjamin McCall stated that cross-gen development was not gimping the PS5 version of the game. Quote, when we started with the concept of this game, we had so many great ideas that ended up being included to the point that we didn't really think about hardware limitations or anything. We just wanted to design a really nice, unique experience for the player and awesome adventure. That's how we also brainstormed all the quests and events the player is going to go through. We included a cinematic lighting rig that we normally only have time to use in cinematics in the PS5 version. Because the PS5 is so much more powerful, we have it on all the time. So I'm sure by now most of you have either played 
Horizon Forbidden West, or you've watched some gameplay footage of it, and it looks stunning. It, and it looks stunning on both PS4 and PS5. There's no denying the game looks great. There's also no denying that Guerrilla Games is incentivized to tell people, hey, there's no compromises in the PS5 version because we also made it for PS4. However, if Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart and the Demon Souls remake are PS5 only, why aren't Horizon Forbidden West or God of War? Why did those two games need to be PS5 only, but Horizon Forbidden West and God of War didn't? And really, I think the answer to that is that Horizon Forbidden West and God of War were both developed and almost completed for PlayStation 4. So of course, anyone from Guerrilla Games is going to say this. He needs to sell his game, but there is work to be done to make each version work. There's no denying that. If you want to include haptic feedback, 3D audio, other exclusive elements of PlayStation 5 hardware, that takes work. If you want to have ray tracing in the game, that takes extra work. If you want to make the game run okay on PS4 with it still looking on par with the PS5 version, that takes work. PlayStation boss Jim Ryan claimed to believe in generations, alluding to the idea that jumping from PS3 to PS4 and now PS5 the experience in games should be unique and built primarily for such hardware and its feature set. But that's not what's been happening with the PlayStation 5 in particular. For example, we could and should have had faster, better web swinging in Spider-Man Miles Morales. But because the game is also being developed for PS4, it just simply wasn't possible. And I know you may be sitting there saying, wait a minute, I didn't notice anything off about the web swinging in Miles Morales. But go back and play an old Spider-Man game like Web of Shadows and watch how fast you were able to swing through the city. This is being slowed down intentionally because the PS4 cannot draw all the geometry quick enough. And instead of having frame rates fall out, they just keep Spider-Man from swinging as fast as he possibly could. Other elements of games that should be improved and could be improved on the PS5, like artificial intelligence, will simply never fly on the PS4. There's no way the PS4 CPU can handle improvements to AI that are possible on the PlayStation 5. And so you get this vanilla middle where the AI doesn't really improve from last generation to this generation. And you can go on and on and find elements like this. On the Xbox side, you can't tell me that Halo Infinite is making full use of Xbox Series X. It just isn't. It looks okay. It's not a stunner, but at least Microsoft was honest about it, while PlayStation tried to lay low, knowing it was doing the exact same thing. The thing is, it's not necessarily about the games looking better. It's also a question of design. So while Gorilla has to act like developing for two consoles isn't a big deal, third parties don't. And this is where the truth is really laid bare. Remedy's Thomas Pua thinks that generational upgrades for games are the reason that we haven't seen the full potential of the next-gen consoles. Quote, Whenever you're in this cross-generational point, it sucks. You have to support the previous gen, make sure that sings, and then whatever you bring to the next gen is still limited by the choices you made years ago for the previous generation. It's not a very realistic thing that this old game, we're just going to remake everything and then bring it to next gen. It's just not like that. It's not a reality for us because you're literally taking away resources that are building the future games and improving the engine for the future. The content looks wrong, the textures look wrong, the lighting is busted because we've made all these improvements, but then they are incompatible with what we had in 2019. So there you go. That That is an unbiased source. Someone who is a third-party developer who has to work on both consoles, who is telling you right here 
that developing games for both generations hinders the development of next generation. Who are you going to trust? Someone who works at PlayStation, who is incentivized to say it's all hunky-dory, or someone who actually has to struggle through this and doesn't have unlimited resources like the developers at Remedy? I choose the third party, guys. In the end, it's all about money, but Sony and Microsoft are trying to spin it as choice. A good alternative, or a compromise, would be Sony allowing PS4 play of the PS5 versions of games through its PlayStation Now streaming, aka PlayStation Plus Premium. This way, the people who have invested in the PS5 are getting their money's worth playing games that are worthy of that hardware, while people on the PlayStation 4 are still able to play those games albeit via streaming only. It's a good compromise that should work for everyone. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield. Follow me on Twitter at Dinfire and follow Sifted at Sifted Games. And while you're at it, head to patreon.com sifted and drop us a pledge. We'll be back tomorrow, but until then, make sure you seize today because there will never be another. <laughs>